0: Hey, I'm Nicole, your host of the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. On this show, we're going to be talking tangible action that you can take in order to achieve the life you thought was only achievable after retirement. Everything you want now in life, you can have it. Will it take hard work, patience, and uncomfortable growth? You bet it will, but it will be so worth it. On this show, we will be deep diving into the topics of lifestyle design, travel, entrepreneurship, and everything in between. I myself am a global citizen and world traveler who left my home country and conventional lifestyle behind for a life of adventure and following my passions. And that's exactly what I want for you. It's your time to love your work, build your wealth, and create the lifestyle you've always dreamed of. Let's do this. Welcome back to another episode of the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. Today, I am so excited to welcome our guest, Yovana, onto the show. Yovana is a senior manager at Nomad Capitalist and an immigration expert. So with that as her introduction, you know where this conversation is going to go today. We're going to be talking all things global citizen, passport strategies, citizenships, residencies, all of the good things that I love to talk about and Giovanna does as well. So before we get into it, Giovanna, why don't we start out by hearing more about you and your story and how you ended up at Nomad Capitalist and interested in this space?
1: Yeah, thank you, Nicole, for a wonderful introduction. And I'm very glad to be with you here today. Well, even a lot of people, maybe when they read the story, they find it funny or interesting that, you know, how someone from a completely different sphere of of life let's say politics end up uh doing uh working with taxes and uh immigration so there is no fortunately something you know some funny circumstances or some mystery behind it i as i said i studied international politics and international security so Mm -hmm. during um, you know first couple of uh, years of my study, you know, studying and work life, I was fully dedicated to that. I thought, thought that's the best thing in the world. So I was very into becoming going a part of Peace Corps and uh, going to, you know, different locations where there are an outbreak of a war. So that was my thing. I was very, very into it and trying to obviously resolve things in a peaceful way, hence this diplomatic part. Uh, so during a couple of years, I did a lot of Internship programs working with a lot of international organization and governmental organization. It was a great experience, but you know, you do not really have a feeling that you're moving a needle. You're one of many there. Whatever you say is probably not going to be accepted because there is a certain policy and procedures that are follow. And, you know, you don't have much of that wiggle space to to show up your knowledge, to, sh- to show your creativity in resolving some of the things. So I just started thinking that this is probably not the best area for me, Right. I wanted something where I can express uh, myself more and obviously something that I do believe it's impactful. So I very accidentally run on Nomad Capitalist. It was... 2019 nomad was uh still a small company back then over five people when i came in um so they were looking for a person that will work on um you know different programs in different countries that do have some some understanding of law, but uh, basically to you know just Do a research, contact different vendors and, um, you know, establish different partnerships. So obviously a bit of an international experience was required. And as I said, kind of legal, partially legal background. So. I mean, I knew some people there. I, uh, I went in. It was great. Uh, but after a first interview, I thought that that's it. I'm not getting it. I'm too, you know, I'm, I'm coming from a more, more uh, governmental background. So I was very formal, very a you know, legal dictionary I thought that that's that's not going to be accepted but luckily we, we moved through through uh, through different interview circles and um, yeah I end up uh, scoring the scoring a position as I said I first worked in in uh, you know, kind of research and development. So really working on the ground with different lawyers, different tax advisors, and figuring out what is the deal in those countries? Are the good immigration programs? What are the tax benefits well, or not benefits? Obviously, how different tax systems work. And yeah, after that, I started kind of climbing uh, and taking over a couple of departments, So first of all, the kind of department was working most with clients and implementing our services and then following a couple additional ones. So yeah, here I am today.
0: Cool. Amazing. What an interesting story. And it's funny because when you're explaining your story, I resonate with that throughout my academic career. I had always wanted to really make a change, be on the ground, make a change. Also, you know, I had thought about Peace Corps or thinking big on how you can really make a change. but it is, and that's where I agree. I agree with you. It is very difficult in those big organizations to make a change to be at the front line of it. And so I love what you're doing now because, of course, you are making a huge impact with the clients that you work with within Nomad Capitalist. So before we dive into kind of the fine details of things, tell us what is Nomad Capitalist and who does who do you help. Yeah, well
1: just to just to add up on your thoughts. Definitely like what I love and why I enjoy working here. No no one is crazy about taxes. So you learn that you, you're doing that, but at the end of the day the change that we see with people not just the change in their lives in terms of relocating to different countries, experimenting with something new in terms of, you know, traveling more, exploring new countries. So that is amazing. And also, we also have a quite big YouTube channel where we share most of our internal knowledge with, uh, with the audience. So just by reading people comments who say, okay, I, I might not have you know, qualifications to work with you full time, but I was trying to figure things on my own, or you inspired me to, to move somewhere, to look for my happy place, to look for maybe a mentality or a culture that suits better. Me, those stories are amazing, and I always, always uh, enjoy reading those and in the company we have um like a couple team meetings where we group in we'll all group in and really pick up um you know a couple of the stories that we see online or with our clients and then you know just share with everyone so we are trying constantly to actually remind ourselves that um you know bottom line what we do is effectively changing people's lives. So if you're just looking from it from a very technical perspective, you know, it's a bunch of documents, bunch of, I don't know, tax work, immigration work, filling out the forms, you know, worst thing ever. But when you, you know, step back and look at the bigger picture of it, you really see how all of those, you know words on paper how those things uh change someone's life so it's really an amazing feeling uh you know hearing the stories and especially since we mostly work remotely like having a chance to meet people that were uh influenced by something that uh you know we're sharing is just an amazing but yeah so what uh what Nomad Capitalist is doing, uh so we're helping, as we like to say, people go where they are treated the best. So everyone who is thinking or not thinking about... Second citizenship, second residence, uh, relocation to to different countries, uh, whether for themselves or their companies, or just diversifying their uh, their wealth, their assets. You know, we're held here to to help those people. So most of people don't start thinking about why they might need a second passport or a second residence. Until something very, you know, drastically as, uh, as previous pandemic happened and then they see that they, they saw actually that, okay, there might be actually a need. But I think it's just amazing that nowadays there is such a big digital nomad community, which is really kind of facilitating that and really making people think, even some people that previously haven't thought about this, but thinking to to relocate, to look for, it can be whatever, like it, it can be better healthcare, maybe better education system, maybe better cost of living or, you know, different um, th- different cities, different countries that might work better for your lifestyle, something that you kind of historically want to live through obviously we do have clients who are thinking about relocation for uh let's say more more concrete reasons such as taxes and uh, for just not willing to pay further in the countries where they live so obviously that might be one of the reasons but as i said it can be really anything and uh, or policies that you don't agree but it's really kind of very very unique opportunity to you know travel around the world and explore the world and I'm so glad as I said that more and more people are making that decision to if nothing go and explore and the thing you can do always uh, do is go back your home and say I travel I saw the world I don't like it I like my home and that's it you at least know that's where you're treated the best.
0: Yeah, I like that you bring that up because I do think with this somewhat new movement of digital nomadism over the last few years, it's for me, I'm so passionate in talking to my audience about what I like to call lifestyle design. I'm sure you call it something different at Nomad Capitalist, but just truly being aligned in your life and living where, like you said, where you are treated best, where you do feel aligned. And for me, I'm from Canada and that never felt aligned with me. And I didn't know why, and I could never put my finger on it. But I moved to China and I was just like, oh my gosh, this is a whole different world. And even though I've never been to Asia before, I just feel so much better and so much more aligned in this country and not my home country. And so that for me was what started six years ago, my global citizen journey and um, you know, nomad capitalist and the content that your team produces has been very enlightening in the process. And that is why I am right now in Paraguay. Um, But that is another story that I've talked about on the podcast. But so now talking in terms of Nomad Capitalist, I know that your company specifically, you work with very high earners, seven, eight figure entrepreneurs. But this global citizen lifestyle, this optimization of lifestyle, of taxes, of Passports, residencies, all the things that go into it. Is that a lifestyle that you believe anybody can have and can start? Or is that more for high earners? Or what does that look like? And who really falls into the category of somebody who can optimize their lifestyle?
1: Well, everyone, literally. And that's one of the reasons why we have a YouTube channel and why we're very, let's say, very vocal in that community is. Not really only to attract our clients who are a completely different group, but really to show everyone that they can do it. So, and we do occasionally uh, on YouTube speak about you know, some of very high end programs that are, you know, like million dollar passport in Malta and uh, things like that. But there are a-, a lot of other options. So I think everyone. Should and have the ability nowadays to, to start this kind of life if, if they do want it. And it's no longer a rich kid game. So you no longer have to have, uh, I don't know, multiple millions in order to relocate to some other country, in order to incorporate your company somewhere else, in order to diversify your, um, your bank accounts. So not to have all of your money in the same country. And obviously, you know, to have funds to travel the world, so it's really not strictly reserved for high earners. So I think obviously it depends on the country, but 99% of the cases, everyone can do it, and that's the best thing. So you know, you can find a country that suits uh, your your lifestyle, that suits your earnings, where you maybe have like higher cost of living, but maybe also have a lower cost of living. So Uh, If you're strictly looking, let's say, into complete tax reduction and living in a zero tax place, you can go, you know, Monaco, which is uh, the most expensive place in the world to live in and housing is the most expensive there. And Cayman Islands, which is the second most expensive, you know, Dubai, some mid range. And then but you also can go to let's say Paraguay, where it's a bit different system, but it's a territorial tax country, hence your foreign earnings are not taxed there. So you can really, you know, nicely live. You know, Paraguay is now developing cost of life. You you speak better about that, you're on the ground, but costs of life are relatively low or a lot lower compared to, you know, Monaco and Cayman. And uh Probably, uh, I mean not probably, uh, definitely lower compared to Canada, U.S., U.K., Australia. So this is no longer reserved for uh, for high earners. I think a lot of countries realize that, and this digital nomad movement that started a couple of years ago and that really intensified after pandemic really i think open eyes to a lot of countries you know what is it like to be without tourism what is it like to be without digital nomads you know people started realizing okay this is actually a big movement this is not a couple individuals you know spending their days in a beach in bali as it was commonly considered. This is a big community and we all want to benefit from it. Okay, we know what those people want. They want, you know, relatively normal costs of living. They want some tax benefits and, you know, easy immigration system. So now we can see, I believe already a lot along 50 countries have digital nomad visas that really facilitates immigration. So you don't have to do visa runs and things like that. You know, a lot of those countries do offer tax benefits, whether for a year or two or like five years, or they already have a very good system uh, in place that goes hand by hand with um, digital nomadism. So I think this community is just going to be larger and larger with every day. And uh, I'm really glad that I see a lot of countries wanting to jump on that train and really facilitate migration uh, and giving the benefits to that group of people.
0: Yeah, I'm totally on the same page with you there. I think, you know, I just really encourage everybody I speak to and everyone in my audience to critically think about what they actually want out of their life. And You know, if you don't feel completely like you are aligned in your life, then you have 200 other countries where you can go that you might feel more aligned and get treated better, like Nomad Capitalist always says. So I'm curious, what are some trends that you have seen in the past, whether it pertains to global immigration or residency or any aspect of really the global citizen lifestyle? But what are some trends that you have seen in the past that are... Maybe less prevalent now and new things have taken their place.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, as I said, definitely one of the things is increasing the number of options strictly for digital nomads. So if we go back a couple of years ago, you would see that most of the things that, let's say, even companies in investment migration, which is, let's say, this industry, and In immigration laws of most of the countries were really preferable to, you know, high earners. So you, in order to get a residence permit to to stay more than 30, 60, 90 days, you needed to either set up a full company, you know, pay some taxes, hire yourself, go through that hassle, or you needed to purchase real estate, you know, that can be... Know, significantly high in some countries or can you need to demonstrate that you have significant funds to support yourself plus a lot of additional things i think nowadays that's quite a reversed in terms of that we do see more and more countries saying okay we know people want to spend time here. We know th- what our tourists, digital nomads is someone who want, you know, to spend more significant time on the ground. They want to come and we want to facilitate them to come. So a lot of countries are now giving those digital nomads option where. You just need to demonstrate that you have certain income. And again, they're lowering those requirements. You know, Just send us contract. Let's see your bank statement. You're good to come in. Honestly, maybe police report, but in most of the cases, it, it's very simple. So yeah, as I said, a lot of people who want to exploit that. And I mean, we're seeing also high earners who are saying, okay, why would I go with this you know, investment in real estate specifically if they don't like it or they don't want to spend full time there, when I can go with a digital nomad visa. So everyone wants to get really a benefit of that way easier access. I think also Latin America is becoming a big thing now. I mean, compared to... So in my mind, there is two phases, like before COVID and after COVID. So before COVID, Asia was really full of digital nomads, a lot of people there. Latin America was really for... For enthusiasts. And uh, yeah, obviously people have some preconceived notions that countries are not safe, that you might get in trouble and so on. So no one was really, I cannot say no one, but way less people were going to the whole Central and South America, you know, compared to um, Southeast Asia, predominantly, and uh, during COVID, people saw that let's say Mexico was open full time, like without any mandates, you could you could go everywhere without masks. That definitely works for many people. Uh, then the countries started slowly opening with or without some mandates, and I think just people just started pouring to, you know, uh, Central and the South America. So it's now becoming really a go-to place for 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 digital nomads obviously people working for us or canadian companies that suit them very well for for time zones so have to wake up very early or go to bed very late uh, just because being being in at different time zone so from my perspective those are maybe the biggest two impressions so Latin America is becoming a go-to place and also a lot of countries are reducing their requirements for immigration Obviously, for taxation, it's a different thing. We can see that everyone is trying to flirt with uh, different types of taxes. But it's very interesting, from my perspective, what's going on in Europe. They are canceling programs constantly, and they are canceling programs for high earner that they are going traditionally in those options, just because you know, in in some cases, there might be you know not very good people can use those to get certain benefits, but they don't see the good thing is that they do not see that, uh, that danger with digital nomad
0: visas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So in you saying all of that now there are, and I know from firsthand, but I'm sure you do as well. There are so many pieces of the puzzle when it comes to somebody saying, I want to either go where I'm treated best. I want to optimize my tax. I want to to not have to pay a ridiculous amount for healthcare, you know, whatever the reason or a multitude of reasons, there are so many pieces to that puzzle to leave your home country and to go somewhere, who knows where that somewhere is going to be. But can you give us a really brief overview of what that holistic picture looks like and what the pieces of the puzzle are? I mean, of course, it's different for everyone, what they want, what lifestyle they want, but kind of just a general overview of getting the tax residency or the second passport and what that looks like.
1: Sure. So as you said, there's a lot of moving pieces there and obviously it depends on personal goals. So what we're always doing with our client is we're trying to nail those goals and really understand what is behind those and and dig as far as we can. So seven levels deep. And only when you understand what is the the main motivation to moving to another country, you can kind of start looking for that place. So at first, many people say, yeah, I do want to relocate because of taxes. Okay, that that's a valid reason, and if that's the only thing, then maybe the you know kind of the logical solution is okay, just go to a low tax country that matches matches your lifestyle, maybe have a company there or somewhere else, and and and, and that's it. But then you know there is always something behind it, that whether that is. Access to, as you said, healthcare, different type of lifestyle. Lots of people do it for, you know, like very very simple reasons. Maybe they, that that is I don't know dating, wanting to learn the language, things like that. uh, Definitely can be a motivator for 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 people. So I think probably where you are going to live, either full time or part time, is the most important thing because if you are not feeling happy in a place where you live no matter how much money you save on taxes, it's not going to make it worth it. So, you know, sometimes it's even maybe better paying additional taxes if a place, you know, really makes you happy. And this is kind of how we operate. So we do often speak about tax reduction, but it, it should not be the main motivator. I mean, if you're just doing everything because of that you probably can cope with it for a couple of years but everything uh other than that is just going to be such a big burden but to get back on those pieces i mean we're looking into something that we're calling like kind of four quadrant of taxes so this is where you are coming from where you're going where your company is based and where where we are moving your company so all of those four things need to needs to work together. So in your case, like a Canadian, obviously just moving out of Canada and uh, declaring the tax non-residence, cutting some connection, you know, gets you out of Canadian tax system. Some people in different countries cannot do that. I mean, the famous example of US citizens, they can get some benefits, but not all, you know, Let's say Canada and UK have relatively similar tax system, but different requirements. You cannot spend much time in the UK. You cannot have a home, uh, room available, and things like that. So that part needs to be sorted out. You cannot just pack your suitcases, leave, and think, "Okay, I'm a tax resident." So obviously, for people that have a companies, on top of that, it kind of our assets, it add up to to complexity. So the next place is what we're looking into is where you are going. So where do you want to live? How much time do you want to spend there? Or do you want to, I don't know, spend three months? Do you want to live there full time? Do you want to divide your life between multiple countries? And then kind of setting up things there. So obviously depending, depending on the countries that you choose to be in, here comes the where your company is going to be. And uh, in that way, we, you need to look at so many different things, like where your assets are dominantly, where your clients are dominantly. So how does that company matches with your personal residence? Can you trigger permanent establishment rules? Can you trigger CFC rules? So all of those things that, that exist, I mean, especially if someone is relocating to uh, European Union that's very heavily enforced. So you cannot have, you cannot live in. I mean, you can, but not good. You know, live in Portugal full time, be a tax resident there, and have a BBI company. That that's very tricky. It's blacklisted, so they 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 will make a fuzz around it and probably try to tax your BBI company. So basically, speaking a lot about different things, but if If taxes are the reason why you want, those are four things where that you need to look, look into. Obviously on the top of that is a very common misconception that you, you don't have to have a tax residence. So you really need carefully to choose which place will be your tax residence where you will declare it. I think passports, it's very interesting that you brought it up. It is. So again, depending on what your goal is, it can be a result of something or it can be a name per se, right? If you want a passport just to feel that you are in control, to feel that you can leave your country at any moment, uh, you have additional travel freedom. Obviously, there are options. Sometimes, you know, well, in most of the cases when you are living somewhere after a couple of years, you get a citizenship, you know. I would never recommend someone, unless it's very short amount of time, you know, go and spend five to seven years in a country that you don't like, learn the language that you don't want to learn just in order to get a passport after seven years. I, I don't think that's a good strategy. And you know, there are a couple of betters. What is one of my favorite things, uh, and uh, it is citizenship by descent or through ancestor lines. I think not many people are aware of it. Not many people are trying to claim it, but I think it's just such a wonderful thing that it shows that everyone can have a second citizenship because it, it's unrelated to your income. It really is related just to your ancestors. And you know, everyone who pretty much everyone who has ancestors from a foreign country can claim it. So it gets me back to to my previous what we spoke before is that this is not something just for uh, just for high earners.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing all of that. I mean, it's a huge puzzle. So of course, yes. it can maybe re-listen to that again if you were confused or anything because there's so much that goes into it, but. I like that you at the end there bring up passports. I do think passport by descent is something that's very often overlooked. That's how I got my second passport. And I, yeah, I'm a Portuguese citizen. So through that, I got um, access to the EU, which is amazing. And then a nice part of that is that my partner can get that as well, mm-hmm. the Portuguese citizenship. So there's a lot of benefits to that. And it was for me, it was relatively quick and cost effective. I know that's not the case for everybody, but I like that you bring up passports because there is for me and in this space, I'm sure you feel the same and have experienced the same. I don't trust the one government that i have my original passport from and so and even having two and i know andrew talks about this as well and i feel very strongly that even having two passports nowadays especially from two western countries what if I don't like the direction that either of those countries in the future at any point are going to be going in? So can you speak a little bit to governments and particularly Western governments and kind of the change of direction that we have seen them going in? In, I mean, we could even just say since COVID, but in the last few years and the importance of diversifying your portfolio, whether it is Leaving your country in, in in total, like getting out completely, or just having that second passport or residence for diversification?
1: you're definitely not alone in that feeling. Like I would say, especially since COVID, a lot of people were faced with that. So even someone who maybe previously thought about it, you know, hope there's still a small possibility that that happened since COVID. It kind of became a a reality for for most of the people, especially, again, those who disagree with policies. But... It's it's very interesting. So, from my perspective, as someone working on a daily basis with um, you know people who are pursuing this lifestyle, even people who are agreeing with Western policies want a Plan B. So, I know a lot of people ask me in my day-to-day communication, "Oh, is this only for Republicans? Who American Republicans who disagree with culture policies, taxes?" uh in, in their country and it's really not a case. So you know there's also a lot of democrats. But I would say it's very interesting for, for me realizing that that though intuitively one group of people would be likely to move some move forward with something like this, I see a lot of people who at this moment maybe agree with certain policies that are happening are also looking for you know just in case options. so you know as far as passport are concerned uh you know never enough of them obviously if they're not like Afghanistan Syria those are not very fortunately not very um useful but what we're always so looking with our clients that are looking for those options is regionally diversifying. And as you said, be based on different policies in different countries and with different ways of obtaining. So someone like yourself has a Canadian passport, obtain Portuguese by descent. I'm really not sure how long you're in Paraguay, but you might have that one down the road you know, if you, let's say, have a foreign partner, he might, you know, you can get uh, his. So that's a very interesting game in kind of collecting, uh, collecting. And so you don't always have to go and purchase, I don't know, Antigua and Barbuda that you can get or Malta, but just By simply living in one country, you can qualify along, you know, down the road, maybe in some countries that, you know, you love and you invest in, you can get a citizenship for some, you know, with, for, let's say, merits that you contributed to that country. Uh, somewhere you can get citizenship by uh, descent. There are also, you know, a couple of options where basically you don't have to spend much time in the country, but you still can get it down the road. So a lot of different options. Again, not not only purchasing one or, you know, having ancestors. So you can exploit. It is correct that, you know, two passports are amazing, but if they are from very aligned countries. It might not necessarily make a lot of sense if a concern is politic there. So we do like to kind of flirt with passports, you know, to get East and West. West give you access to West. East give you better access to, um, to East. And uh, there's a lot of passports that, you know, might not seem great at the first glance. So... Let me ask you, what do you think about Serbian Passport?
0: Like, just I, like, well, what I know about Serbia, I was there last year and I it was one of the places my partner and I went in the Balkans where we just fell in love with it. So I don't know if it would be a place where I would very easily be able to get a passport. But if that opportunity ever arose, then like you said, because it is the Western and then that's kind of the Eastern, that would be something that I would be so interested in having. (laughs) Yeah. But like when you hear Serbian passport, do you think it's good or bad? It's interesting because I think most people would think bad, unfortunately, but being in my situation, I think probably good, but I think most people don't think the way that I would think.
1: All right. Most people don't think it is, it is a good passport. So had kind a of good passport, sorry, like, what, Germany, US, which is not that good, Canada, Singapore, Japan, maybe, European Union passports, and that's it. So, Serbia is very unique because we have, obviously, European Union, but we also have some very unusual features like visa free to Russia, visa free to China, you know, Uh, Iran. Uh, We're now negotiating to get Saudi Arabia, which will be the sixth passport in the world that has it. So like whole central, and yeah, we're negotiating also with Mexico, but other than Mexico and Paraguay, we do have everything else. In that region, plenty of countries in Africa, very easy to get visas um, and so on. So in total very good passport it's a completely different jurisdiction compared to portugal and canada and the, those western countries you and you know if you match it with portugal you'll have a almost a you know, very good travel freedom to a lot of lot of countries because serbia has a lot that portugal does not have so it is very complementary also we there might be some of the smaller you know definitely let's say share CRB or C passports like Armenia. That one does not have many accesses, but it's definitely a different region or somewhere in Latin America, um, comp- you know, different, different systems. So what we're usually working with our clients is obviously based on their goals and possibilities. We're looking to, in some, if someone wants just a second passport, just in case, as soon as possible, that would be Caribbean Islands very fast solution. So if that's the goal, that's the goal. And then obviously for those that are relocating, we're looking to to, to if they like those places to get a pass a couple of passports down the line, whether through spending time on the ground or in those countries like as I said, Armenia, Honduras, I think Ecuador, Paraguay it might not be difficult. I uh, did do have uh easy to get passports down the line without spending much of a time. So maybe you uh, make some investment, make a bank deposit, keep it for two to three years Mm -hmm. to get it down the line. So that's very, very easy option. You pretty much get your all all of your money back. Mm -hmm. You are a resident in the meantime. You know, maybe you need some to know a bit of a language Mm -hmm. and you get a passport. So those are not
0: amazing passport, but it served the purpose that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I like that you bring up because it's so many options. And it really does depend on what your specific situation is. And I love that you and your team at Nomadic Capitalist, you really work with the clients based on their needs and what they are looking for. So now to kind of start wrapping up, I want to kind of open the mic to you because you are the expert in this industry and there are so many things within this that we have not touched on. So what is one thing that you would like to touch on to bring to people's awareness when we are talking in this space?
1: Hmm. Okay, that's very that's very interesting question. But I think my my advice with this one is always just figure out your goals and that's the most important thing because it needs to be a starting point. And if you maybe cannot figure out your goals at the very beginning, that's okay. But try spend time in another country, you know, trial and error, and mm-hmm. uh, but move forwards that. A lot of people I hear nowadays speak about renunciation, renouncing their first passport, especially for United States. I would, I mean, this is probably kind of the last option that someone should take because. It's not just a matter of taxes. It is not just... I, I completely understand for people who, you know, have a U.S. citizenship purely based on their parents or they're born in the U.S. but never lived there. Mm-hmm. That, that is fine. You you should not owe anything to to the U.S. But uh, for people who actually have families there who are, who are connected with them, renunciation should not be predominantly for tax reasons. Like, you really need to spend a lot of time thinking about it and making sure that's the right decision for you. And we all uh, often get questions of, okay, I do want to renounce my citizenship because of taxes. So how much time then I can spend back in the U.S.? And I need to spend, let's say, six, seven, nine, eight months. So my question would always be, so why you are renouncing in this case? You will anyway be a tax resident of the U.S., you need, well, you need to figure out now, you know, ring card and all of those accesses to spend that amount of time. So why renouncing? So it does seem that that has been a very, maybe popular is a strong word, but something, like a yeah, uh, a lot of people are th- uh, speaking about, and um jumping on that topic as it is something very easy, and uh, I, I I see a lot of young people starting to think about it. Okay, I don't want to renounce. I I will work my way towards passport. But my o- honest advice will always be to make sure that you are making a right uh, right decision, and do not renounce before you. At least spend some time in a couple of different countries and making sure that you love those countries, making sure that you can actually live there, that mentality suits you, that you can maybe imagine yourself living, you know, 60 years from now there, because once you're announced, it's very, very hard to get back. I don't know uh, how many U.S. citizens you have in the audience, but, you know, be very careful with with that decision. Um, obviously we, we saw a lot of people doing that. There is nothing wrong, but you just need to be, to be hundred percent sure that that is the best option for you. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm also seeing people that do, do, do start traveling and they need to feel it's better home, uh, at home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think they feel kind of pressure by the community. They're shaming them, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, as we like to say, go where you're treated the best. And if, if that is your country, that's absolutely fine. I'm now thinking about some, some very important things to, um, to mention. Yeah. One thing that maybe we skip mentioning is our, our, our bank accounts. That is becoming very hard, as you probably know, uh, nowadays. And again, A lot of people think this is a very, this is a game for high earners. And unfortunately, this is the area where it might become because if we're just taking the world before and after COVID, after COVID, banks started even more regulating and, you know, being higher on, on opening. And suddenly you need to provide a bunch of, bunch of documents and connection with the country and so on. So for everyone who has the, um, who has the ability to, you know, who's frequently traveling in different countries, I would always say, go and try just out of fun, get in a bank, try to open a bank account. Maybe it's not the, the best bank in the world. You can keep maybe some, you know, even $100 there, see how it will be, how you feel about it. Do you feel that your money is secure? But I do believe that banking is just going to be worse and worse and worse. Obviously, there is a substitute for that, but in terms of this traditional banking, given everything that is happening in the U.S. right now, and just looking at day to day, how much they are trying to regulate everything, I do believe that you know people who have the opportunity should try to set up as, ma- as many accounts as possible now, before it you know it starts being. Uh, impossible to, to do so.
0: Yeah, I love, I really love that you mentioned bank account because that is such an important piece and you're right, a very increasingly difficult piece of the puzzle. And I like at the end, you mentioned just set up as many as you can. I've had that mindset for many years. I think I have bank accounts in five different countries I remember for the longest time, I had always wanted to visit Georgia and Tbilisi, especially in the nomad community. It's very talked about, but I was like, I need to go and open all the bank accounts I can. (laughs) So really, you know, and it's not that I really use those bank accounts that I have, but really just being able to diversify because, you know, if the content from Nomad Capitalist and my journey within this space has taught me or the audience anything, then it would be to for me really diversify. And I personally don't trust one country. I think, especially with Canada that your home country is typically the country. I think that you have the most affinity to that you would trust in most cases. Um, but during COVID I wasn't even in Canada, but the ban of The trucker protest, which I didn't even know much about because I was in China, but I just heard about, you know, bank accounts being frozen and the government there and some of their policies. And it really just hit home for me, like, even if it is a Western country, don't just assume that everything that you have there is safe. And there are many other great options out there, but I think it's very easy for especially those of us from Western countries to just assume that our money and our whatever else it may be is safe when that's not always a fully accurate picture.
1: That is absolutely true. So, and also there is something about just simply being able to access your money and uh, why I think this maybe just the regional diversification is good because in most of the cases, you will find out that if you travel to South America, your banker might call you and ask you, is your card stolen? And we heard, you hear a lot of those stories, or they bl- block funds because, oh, we thought you don't have an alternative, right? You just have maybe one or two cards from a very similar bank. There's highly chance that the other bank will act the same, so you're basically broke. So even for a simple convenience reason, it is nowadays more and more, there's more and more uh, needs to to have at least kind of regionally diversified bank accounts. You don't need, a bank account in every single country of the world. Uh, I would like to meet, I would like to know if there is someone that does have it. That would be such a cool, cool goal. But a counter to in Southeast Asia, a counter to in Europe, maybe whole kind of MENA region, a counter to, you know, Central America, South America, is the North one. You know, once you have it kind of diversified like that, you, you can be sure that you will always at wherever you are have Access to at least some amount of your money, and you know you you won't depend on where a bank will will block your funds and things like that. And obviously, given the everything that is uh, again the whole situation in, with the U.S. banks, uh, definitely taught us <laughs> a very important lesson, and that is to diversify funds uh, not just in a, in multiple banks, but in multiple countries and preferably multiple stable currencies. So. I'm always saying to people, even to my friends, I'm doing that personally, and it's very annoying. But uh, you know, the results are worth it. Whenever I travel to a new country, even if I sometimes I know I don't have any chance to to open an account because they ask for a lot of documents, I always try my luck. Like I come in, you know, I I prepare a story why I'm there, why I need an account, and um, yeah, actually, I, I, I did have a lot of luck with that. I do have multiple accounts that I just opened basically by getting in and trying. And they said, okay.
0: Like, Sounds what countries good. were those? I have to ask.
1: Oh, yeah, I, I do. Well, okay. So I do have a like, couple regional. So here in Balkans, I do have Hungarian one, Macedonia, Montenegro serbia i took georgia armenia i do have south korea uh okay. that's an interesting one one in dubai yeah. turkey uruguay uh, i have feelings that that's not it but i think i had there there is one more in uh, in south america yeah probably Col- colombia yeah
0: i think it's i colombia. love that you have so many you can't even keep track of them like that's the way you want it to be <laughs>
1: I have, I have a tracker, but (laughs) on the top of my mind, because I always do that. So, uh, I, even when I was in China, I just came in, no one speaks English in a bank. Everyone is sleeping in a, in a back room. They're taking their nap. And I was really trying to get my accounts there, but unfortunately, um, I, think I, I had some chance. There was a person that was like, oh, maybe, maybe, because we, we, Serbia is considered relatively friendly country to China. We have visa-free, and we're generally not um, in a difficult situation there. But unfortunately, their rules and regulations that are that in most of the cases, there are no non-residential accounts. So they were not allowing. So I, I was also rejected and almost arrested in Taiwan <laughs> because, yeah, Serbia and Taiwan do not have diplomatic relation. So I was, I could not even exchange money on, um, on an exchange for my passport. My card was blocked. <laughs> so in those cases, like, um, you know, a second card is always a good idea that is not from Serbia was in that case but i was still full of myself and wanted to try and you know automatically as soon as they swipe my, swipe my passport I don't, I don't know play security escort her like wow. you cannot do this you're breaching uh breaching whatever international order something something like that because There are no, like, we do not recognize Taiwan as an independent Mm. country. So they don't like Serbia. So you're basically like a third order citizen. I swear to you, I could not even exchange money. I needed to exchange cash in a black market so that was that was a really funny story but i always go and try sometimes i get lucky sometimes i get escorted by security but um it it is kind of personal mission for myself at least to try everywhere so
0: wow that's a crazy story (laughs) but but crazy but very inspiring I love that you have so many bank accounts all over the world and that you know that your money is safe because they're not going to block all of these different bank accounts because they are diversified in different countries.
1: But as I said, it really served me very well because I'm relatively frequently traveling. So if I'm in Southeast Asia, I would use some funds with that card. Because countries are more familiar with, you know, a specific bank or I can, you know, get way easier access to money and I won't have any issues. So, you know, same with other regions. So that was kind of the main motivator for me to just have it, you know, just have something that I can use across the board and not risk, uh, You know, Serbian bank calling me and telling that everything is blocked and uh, that that I'm penniless somewhere. So that was a main motivator, but obviously it started working, uh, started working well, and I started using that as a as a, as a diversification. Obviously not all of those banks, some banks, uh, which I could not recall. I'm just using them if I'm traveling. So just having maybe some, some account for, for that, but other, some other banks are really good to store your money.
0: Yeah. And I think it's interesting on the topic of banks too, that I I think people, and I would have never believed this in the past, but I think those from Western countries might find this somewhat difficult to believe, but I have found in, in personal instance that sometimes it just depends the person that you go to at the bank, whether you get a bank account or not, which I know in Canada would never fly. You know, there's rules and there's policies and the bank has systems around this. But in other countries, that's not always the case.
1: Yeah, that's what I, I said, you know. Go and try your luck. So maybe you get an amazing banker and she she or he is super friendly, you know, really uh, there to help you. They take your story. Okay. Everything is good, though. You know, maybe if you're reading online, it says, okay, they open for non-residents and so on and so on. But... Maybe just, you know, if you show up again, if someone is very nice, very interested, uh, they they might do it. So that's why I always try.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. Very inspiring. So <laughs> now I want to ask you a question about less about the bank accounts, residency, passport side of things. But you have worked at Nomad Capitalist for quite a few years now. So what is it like to work at such a multinational country company that works with citizens across countries all over the globe. What is that like?
1: Well, uh, hard, uh, but definitely very, very exciting. Uh, so I have been with Nomad for four and a half years uh, now. And I'm, I mean, what I said at the very beginning, really what moves the needle is seeing that you're effectively changing someone's life and um you know how how people feel after uh they are they are done with the whole process. So that has been f- for myself a very big motivator. Also what has been really interesting for me is to understand different cultures in terms of working culture in in, in different countries. Because as I said, I had previous experience with international organization, but they all have very strict rules. So it seems that it doesn't make much difference for where you are coming from. You know, as long as you follow the rules, you're very uniform. And in Noma, there is a lot of room for creativity and doing some things differently. Obviously it depends on who you are working with. You're with your clients or lawyers from different countries and so on. It is very, it was very interesting for me just to get familiar with Different kind of work cultures across the board. Um, you know, who, and I don't have my theories. Um, you know, maybe, you know, you can see how different nations think differently and you kind of see that in a general level, they have better skills to do certain type of job because of the culture, or because of the kind of historical background where they are coming from. And then others are, and I'm just trying it out. Maybe like, I don't know, Georgia and Armenia, Georgia especially for me are very, you know, finance and those kind of chart those kind of things. And then you have, you know, countries that are more sales-oriented. So, and then you have countries who are more like, um, okay, I have no clue what is this, but I will figure it out. And then a couple hours later, they come up with, with some crazy solution that actually works. So it really depends on, on the kind of mentality. So I think that is also what makes us, kind of, maybe not unique, but definitely we're trying also to match people in that way in terms of which department they belong, uh, they suit the best for. I mean, th- that has been a really, really nice for me to see. So, I mean, working with Nomad definitely gives you a lot of opportunities to, um, you know, travel and meet different people, meet some amazing people that I never thought would be meeting, um, but also just on a day-to-day level. Also, internally probably realizing that you had some misconceptions towards certain countries or um, you know people that are coming from those countries so really debunking your uh your myths and i mean hearing this experience their experience it, it has been really great so really A multicultural environment across the board from clients to, to employees. And it really shapes up a very, very, very unique dynamic. I mean, besides that, I personally really enjoy traveling. It's just just one of the best thing that I had a chance to do no matter for client meetings or some on the ground research. So there are a lot of. A lot of countries that they're very lazy to pick up the phone. <laughs> um so you need to go knock on the door. And when we are really working to figure out some of the things, even to tell our clients, hey, we tried it, it's not really working. Uh sometimes we need to do a lot of legwork. So and effectively go and check and not just, you know, read on the internet what you can find. So overall, I mean four and a half years still counting. I, I do enjoy it.
0: That's amazing. I'm so glad to hear that it's, you know, such a like a great company internally and that you do care so much about your clients and the strategies you're creating for them and that it also serves you and everyone else who works there, it serves you, you know, very well. And you have probably learned so much along the way and will continue to grow and learn with the company. So what more can you ask for? Uh, well, Giovanna, <laughs> thank you for joining me here talking all things. Global citizen and diversification on today's episode. I really appreciate your time and I highly recommend checking the show notes below. I have linked Nomad Capitalist socials and check out his YouTube as well, along with Instagram. But I personally love every YouTube video that comes out. <laughs> um, always watching and following along. So, I really appreciate your team and Andrew putting out that content. And I highly, highly recommend checking that out below.
1: Thank you so much. And we'll have a big event in K- Kuala Lumpur this year. So it will be, I think there will be an amazing group of people, a lot of interesting speakers. We'll be speaking about all of these things in details, country specific. And we decided to do this year in KL because for last couple of years, we'll, did it in Mexico. So uh, this year it's Malaysia. We thought it would be a very unique cultural experience for for a lot of people. Mexico is kind of a safe blanket for a lot of people. It's very uh, it's very close to the US, Canada. They're already very familiar. So Malaysia and Kuala Lumpur, very, very unique, culturally unique place. So we really hope that that will be one of uh, one amazing event.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I will put the link for Nomad Capitalist Live below. And what are the dates this year? Oh, September 9th. I will link that below if you want to check that out as well. And Yovana, thank you so much for being on the show today. If this episode has served you in any way, I would be grateful if you share your takeaways or what you have learned from this episode by tagging me on Instagram at Nomad Neeks. If you haven't yet, please hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform and leave a five-star review. This helps me to continue creating inspiring and educational content for you in the future. Thank you for your support and I'll see you in the next episode of the Work, Wealth, and Travel Podcast.